The Simon Shore Podcast is presented by Boxscore Network. Boxscore Network is your one-stop shop for all things NFL podcasts. You want game analysis, betting lines, hot takes, and fantasy advice? Check out Boxscore Network. Follow Boxscore Network on Twitter at Bscore Network for updates. Welcome back in to the Simon Short Podcast. I'm Simon Short. We have a fun episode for you today. It's the first official offensive line ranking of this podcast. But as I mentioned in the show with Ben Parker, who's doing the offensive line ranking for me, that's Ben Parker of the Stat Sheet Podcast and Odds on Favorite. We did a whole super deep dive last year. So if you like what you hear, go over to YouTube, uh, Ben Parker's old YouTube page, um, you will still find it on there. So we do crazy in-depth analysis stuff last year, but this was a fun ranking we did just going through previewing the 2023-24 NFL season by offensive lines and did our rankings and talked about how to best build an offensive line, the way we conceptualize it, the things we value. So really fun episode. Hope you guys enjoy that. Let's start off, though, with a Secret Invasion recap of Episode 4 and just my initial reaction to it. So I thought Episode 4 was the best episode of the season so far. It's also the shortest episode, about 38 minutes, including credits and and intro and all of that stuff. So pretty quick episode. Starts off with Guy is Alive. So uh, Guy, uh, we get the scene at the beginning um where we get a little bit bit of a flashback to where she's getting the information from the pod that her dad Taylor has asked her for at the end of episode three uh ultimately was what got her kind of found and killed um or so we thought but after she gets the information from one of the fracking pods she gets herself plugged into the super scroll machine and gets the extremist power and so she was able to basically heal herself from the bullet wound after the events of the end of episode three so i will now take back all of my fridging comments and complaints that i made at the end of episode three because that ended up not being the case so good on marvel and secret evasion and disney for not killing off another female character yay good job um but seriously that that was really great to see it was really cool to see guys expertise and wit and know-how kind of kick in their survival skills that stuff that's one of the things you expect from a spy thriller right people knowing how to survive that's what being a spy is all about so having her be able to pull that off in that short amount of time was really impressive and really really cool to see um so next we get a flashback to fury and priscilla who is fury's scroll wife um, the flashback is just after the events of 2012's Marvel's Avengers, Priscilla reads Fury a poem, which will come into play later um, from a book that she is reading at dinner. So then flash forward to present, Priscilla meets with Skrull Rhodey, um, who we do get confirmation here in a little bit is a Skrull, as we hypothesized for the first few episodes. And Rhodey orders Priscilla to kill Fury. So we're getting a little more confirmation I didn't say this at the end of last week's episode because I didn't know this for sure, but it is um, Rhodey who calls Priscilla while she's in the bank vault at the end of episode three when she's getting the gun. Um, So Rhodey is ordering Priscilla to kill uh, Fury, 
threatens to either kill her or Fury if she doesn't do it, probably both. So she kind of has to fall through with this. Um, meanwhile, Fury has a bug on her, and here's the whole thing. So he knows what's going down. So fast forward a little bit. Fury is waiting for Priscilla at the house. Great little detail of Priscilla walking into the house and finding his ring, um, which we saw at the end of episode two where he has to put on his ring when he's in the house because when he's home, he's her husband. He doesn't have the ring on when she walks in, but he is in there. So that was just kind of a really cool, like, hey, I know what you're up to, kind of kind of nod to the audience. Um, they sit down. They're going to have a nice cup of tea, and he lays it all out that he knows exactly what's going on, that she's playing him. She doesn't deny it. He expresses regret for falling for her in the first place and meant all the regrets that he has in his life. We get this little nod into some some trauma that Fury is still kind of grappling with, some some regret in his life that, you know, during episode one, we really thought we were going to get a lot more emotional Fury stuff, him dealing with the events of the snap and, and his recovery from coming back from that. We haven't really gotten a lot of that yet, but we get a little bit of insight into Hey, Fury has a lot of stuff on his mind. So I thought I thought that was a nice little hint. I hope in the next two episodes we get more stuff like that. Um, so they have this little back and forth. They end up reciting the poem together, which was basically about like, hey, did you get everything you wanted from this life? And was it worth what you did, basically? And so Fury recalling this poem as him basically being like, well, were the last 30 years worth the betrayal basically did you get what you wanted out of this at the end of the poem they both draw their guns and fire and they both intentionally miss to the right um i thought this was probably the best scene in terms of the emotional weight that we've gotten in this show so far there have been multiple scenes where they try to garner that kind of emotional reaction from the audience that didn't hit nearly as much as this one did so i really enjoyed this scene we then get a Fury visit or break-in, as Rhodey would put it, to Rhodey's uh, hotel suite. Um, this scene actually starts with Rhodey coming out of the shower in his scroll form. So we get this confirmation that he's been a scroll in this show, at least. We don't know how far back it goes. Um, we're pretty sure that Fury knows Rhodey is a scroll based on this. Would make sense based on the, the call that or the conversation with Priscilla that Fury overheard. We can, we can tell by watching Fury that he suspects or knows that Rhodey's a scroll here, which is very, so the scene plays very differently than the scene that they shared during episode two, I believe two, where, where Rhodey fires Fury. Um, so it plays very differently. We get that, we get that aspect of it. They quote unquote share a bottle of really nice bourbon. Um, Fury tries to exchange, keeping the secret that he knows there's a scroll close to the president in return for getting his old job back. Rhodey counters that offer with a video that he has of graphic disguised as Fury killing Maria Hill in the first episode. Um, I like this scene, as I said, better than the last one between the two of them because we get that aspect of Fury knowing what the deal is and playing to that whether, as opposed to being pretty in the dark. And, and you know, I mentioned in after episode two that that scene between him and Rhodey I thought intentionally didn't have that magnetism between them because it wasn't because it's a scroll in place of Rhodey. Um, but because Fury at that time, we don't think ex suspected that 
he was talking to him like he knew him. So it, it just didn't, it didn't feel right, but I thought that was intentional. But here in this scene between them, when we know Fury is suspecting or knows that Rhodey is a scroll, I think it hits a lot better. So I really like that scene as well. We get a scene of Gaia and Talos sitting on a park bench together. Talos is expressing that he wish he never got Gaia involved. She doesn't want to hear it. Basically, I make my own choices, all that sort of father-daughter stuff. She asks him once and for all, what's your plan to get us out of here? If I'm coming back to your side, away from Gravik, he has a plan, and it's going to work. It's messed up, but it's going to work. We're going to have our own home because we're going to destroy humanity and rule Earth. Um, what's your plan? He's like, oh, you know, it's a great plan. I totally got a plan. You know, I'm gonna, we're gonna help Fury again. We're gonna save the world. We'll, we'll tell the president we did that, and we'll ask for amnesty and a place to live on Earth. This doesn't really work for Gaia. This is probably very similar to what she's heard from twenty plus years. This is the stuff Fury told them. Hey, if you help me out, I'll get you a home, and it hasn't happened yet. So, understandably, she walks away pretty angry. We then go to Squirrel Rhodey greeting the president in England, where you give them some pointers on how to deal with the Russians. President responds with, did you pregame our very important meeting with the Russians? Someone get the colonel a large coffee, smelling the bourbon on his breath um, that he was sharing with Fury earlier. Wonder if that tracker that Fury put on him through the bourbon maybe intensified the effects or the smell of it. That would be interesting. But the idea that this version of Rhodey would maybe hit the bourbon a little hard kind of shows a lot of, I think, what we've been experiencing with this Rhodey. The language is different. The way he's communicating, the way he's acting is very different from typical Rhodey. And I felt that it was really exacerbated in this episode where we get the reveal. So it makes me feel better that this scroll has taken Rhodey's place post-endgame, post all this stuff. And it's just really in the events of the show. Because I don't think the roadie that acts like this would have made it this long compared to the roadie that we knew through the first few phases of the MCU. Um, it 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 has it, it feels very dissimilar to the one we saw in those movies. So, it, it, because of the drastic difference between Squirrel Roadie and the roadie from all the movies up to Endgame, it to me there there's no way that the, the scroll has come in more recently. Um, Rhodey gets in the car, calls to Gravik uh, in the con while while he's part of the convoy with the president. Tells him which car the president's in. A shootout ensues. Fury and Talos join in to defend the president, and they are doing work. They are just having a great old time. They're doing great stuff. Um, Gravik shows off his group powers that we saw in the previews that was hinted at. You know, when we started seeing him with the extremist powers. This was just a great action scene, top to bottom. Um, so another thing that we haven't gotten consistently through the show so far. So I was really happy to see a good action scene here. Um, Talos is shot by Pagan while trying to break through the window to the president's vehicle where the president is unconscious. The wound is bad enough from the gunshot that Talos is slowly changing back into a scroll form. While this is happening, a U.S. or English soldier, not really sure, sees him and aims his weapon at Talos. Thinking he's after the president, Fury steps between them and says, he's with me, and the soldier lowers his weapon. I was really impressed with this. The soldier just basically nods and is like, yeah, cool, man. Sound All right, Fury, I got you. Sounds good. Where I think maybe, a, I don't know if it would be a less or more complex storyline would have been the soldier didn't believe him. 
Fury is like, wow, what's my place in the government for them to just kind of shoot me aside this quickly? Talos is thinking, wow, I really don't have a home on Earth because of the way I look, no matter what I've done so far. Um, but no, the soldier, you know, has faith in Fury and it's like, okay, great. Um, but then Talos gets the president out of the car. He gives, uh, and, and Fury is going to take the president to their car. And he says to Talos, the dreaded line of, sit tight, I'll be right back for you. And you know, nothing good ever comes from that. Uh, that same soldier, we think, comes up to Talos, says, here, I'll help you. And he helps him up. They start walking toward the car, but Fury knows right away something's wrong. When the soldier isn't bringing Talos all the way to the vehicle, Fury draws his weapon, um, ends up firing. And turns out to be Gravik, who then stabs Talos, who is now in his full scroll form, um, and falls to the ground. Fury fires a few more emotional shots, uh, which hit Gravik, but obviously to no avail because of Extremis. Gravik escapes. Fury decides to leave with the president to get him out of that situation, but leaves Talos and has a hard time doing it, understandably. Real tough here because Gravik and his team were retreating at that point. I think Fury could have gone out and, and checked on Talos or, or tried to at least rescue the body, retrieve the body, anything. But he ultimately pulls away with Talos seemingly down and out for the count. Um, now, obviously, we're getting into like, ooh, is this person really dead? Like, what's actually going on here? Some of the spy stuff that I was really interested in, we haven't gotten a ton of. After what happened last week, we're now going to wonder for a week: Is Talos actually dead? Could he have it? Could, could he have the extremist powers? Could he have something else? Could we don't know? But he's probably dead. But maybe not. We'll see. Um, but again, this was my favorite episode by far that we've gotten. Um, but every scene was very well written and well performed. I thought everything had a purpose. Um, I thought there was much more emotional weight in in the scenes. And I think we just got that that spy, who's a scroll, who's not, who's on my side, who's not. And that's what I wanted from the show most of all, and to see Samuel L. Jackson cook. And that's what happened. So great episode in episode four. We only have two left of Secret Invasion. Make sure to come back to the Simon Short podcast every week to get my reactions to that, as well as lots of fun stuff. We have a lot of fun episodes coming up, including this one here with Ben Parker of Odds on Favorite. Everyone enjoy. <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm Ronan Summers and I want to tell you about the Statsheet Podcast. Every Tuesday, you can hear me and my co-hosts break down the biggest games and analyze what's happening around the NFL. Follow the Statsheet Podcast on Twitter at the Statsheet Pod and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Connor. I'm Billy. And I'm Austin. And we're the host of the Tricky Takes podcast presented by the Box Score Network. We talk about all things sports ranging from golf, baseball, football, NBA, and all college sports. Come give us a listen and make sure you follow us over on Twitter at Tricky Takes. And that's tricky with two eyes. All right, Ben Parker is here. That's Ben Parker, ladies and gentlemen, of the Stat Sheet Podcast. Newly named Stat Sheet Podcast, by the way, if I haven't mentioned it on this pod or the first episode you're listening to since then welcome back but uh the phantom football podcast is no more we are now the stat sheet podcast so make sure you're following stat sheet pod on twitter subscribe to the show wherever you listen you'll hear me and ben talk about all sorts of things squeeze offensive line talk in every episode and we fully converted running summers uh ben is also 
the co-host of Odds on Favorite with Robertson Byer. Um, both of those shows are part of part of Box Score Network. So be sure to follow Box Score Network at B Score Network on Twitter. But Ben, welcome back in, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. I am so excited to be doing nothing but offensive line tonight, man. We won't talk about a well. We probably won't talk about a single quarterback, skill position player, you name it. I mean, okay, we might, but it won't be long. Okay, I'm not. I don't even know. I don't even know who those guys are. I only see, you know, roughly, let's say nine to twelve people on a football field at a time, and it's the offensive line and who they're blocking. That's all I care about. Yes, that's it. <laughs> at least for the next sixty minutes or so. Um, so we have alluded to it now, but. It is time for our yearly offensive line ranking with Ben Parker. Last year, Ben and I did a full, full deep dive on offensive line rankings over on YouTube. You can still go find those. But we were doing division by division analysis, full rankings, grades for every player, top position lists, everything. Hours and hours of film study and planning, uh, pre-production meetings, post-production meetings. I mean, we made a whole life out of that ranking last year. That was deep in my, I have a newborn at home, so I'm just never asleep anyways time period. Um, right. Ben has switched jobs since we've done that. I now have basically a toddler, so we, we didn't quite do that this year. Ben, can you believe we managed to pull that off last year? Yes, and I, I honestly, I'm a little more surprised that we've done something at all this year. I, I, I wasn't sure we were going to get it done, but we did, and uh, man, I Everybody hang with us. This is exciting stuff. You don't want to miss this, okay? Absolutely. So, yeah, it wasn't that that whole thing wasn't happening this year. But after watching all the film during the 2022-23 season, going back in, kind of looking at our rankings and updating throughout, and then all the roster moves of the 2023 offseason, we are here to bring you our current offensive line rankings as we get ready for training camp here in a couple weeks. Um, so Ben and I have our lists. We're going to go through them a few teams at a time to compare – Something that I love about doing these, Ben, it, it's so interesting to see what everybody values in an offensive line play. I've fallen in love with offensive line because of its similarities to a basketball lineup, which for the listeners, you know, that's where everything really started for me in doing this stuff. That's my that's actually my main sport. Um, that that's that's the thing that got me into all this. But I tend to think of an offensive line in the capacity of a five-man basketball lineup you need. You need one dude, like a real dude. You preferably have two or three, but most importantly, you have no weak, link, weak links. You have five players that you can put out there together. They have different body types and different roles pertaining to that, the different positions, just to name a few reasons. Um, but this year, what I was really getting into was, okay, how do I want to build my offensive line? If I was going to put mine together and I had my constraints of cap and draft capital, and, you know, what what would be the things that were valuable to me? So I broke down my tiers that way. I have eight tiers that I have my teams broken down to. Ben has a similar number, six, six or seven, six I'm and a, a half. I'm at seven, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a bonus <laughs> one in there. Um, and that's how we'll kind of work through this. So my tiers are I have an elite, a very good, a young and on the rise. I really value when you have, like, four or even five just young guys that are starter capable and are growing together. Um, then I have at four elite tackle with some good stuff. Cause I think an elite tackle is like having that 
elite wing player in today's NBA. In the 90s, it was having that elite center and build around. In the 80s, it was that elite guard that you could build around. Um, so that's my fourth tier. Um, fifth tier is just good all around, left to right. Like, hey, yep, this is a B minus all the way across, and that'll get it done. Uh, the next tier is very good tackle. So a step down from the elite guys, but you also have some question marks in other places. Could be your other tackle, could be your interior. The second to last tier is this group should be good, but I have too many questions about them that if the questions are answered positively, they will be good, but it could also easily go wrong. And so it won't be good. And then I just have the bad tier down at the bottom. Um, Ben, before we dive into our list, I think that's all my caveats and explaining, but any anything you want to touch on before we get started? Yeah, we'll, we'll cut through your list here in a second. I'll just add my comments. When I'm looking at O-line, I tend to favor fast blocking over run blocking, maybe at like a 60-40 mm-hmm. ratio. Yep. Um, I tend to – it means a lot to me if you know who your five starters are. You're not mm-hmm. planning on swapping people around, but – I have caught myself, if you have one major hole, but you've got like two or three guys who are significantly above average, I will grade that higher than a team who knows who all five starters are, but they're not, there's nobody above average. So um, that is a couple of things that I look at here when I'm, when I'm looking through my, my uh, draft grids. Yeah. I, I, because of all the planning we've done just over the last couple of days, getting ready for this, I know what your teams those are for you, but it'll be very interesting to talk about them when it comes up because yeah. it is pretty subjective. And I, I think I like that about our list this year. Last year we dove into it so analytically based that it really did become a like a, an average ranking of our composite scores for all the, I mean, we had guys, we had <laughs> the the one to 10 kind of grading scale Ben and I put together last year was just, it was something for an insane person, but I like the subjectivity of our list this year. I think it'd be really fun to talk about. And one thing, you know, before we really, you know, dive back in, and this will be the last thing we mentioned this, a lot of teams kind of really helped their offensive line this year. I think there's only a couple teams that when I look at them, like, man, this team is in a really bad way. Whereas last year, it felt like maybe a quarter of the teams didn't have a good plan or, or weren't in a good spot. And now it feels like 80, 85% of the league is like, hey, I at least I see what you're trying to do and I, I can get behind it. It might not work, but I think you're in a good place going into training camp. I'm 100% there with what you just said. Last year, it felt like this is so weird to say, but yet when we study this stuff, we see it. It felt like there were teams who really weren't taking O-line too seriously. Yep. And it felt like between last offseason and this offseason, I can really only say that about one team. <laughs> now, there's some, there's some other teams who are doing a poor job of taking it seriously. Their plan isn't very good. But like you said, at least I can see what they're trying to do. I've only got one team who I think, man, you guys just <laughs> – y'all ain't doing nothing here. So – Everybody else is trying to address it, trying to make it work. I think that I think that was by design by that team. Um, I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll get into that at the at the very end. We are going to go top to bottom. Um, as much fun as it is to reveal the best teams at the very end, I I think it does make it a little harder to actually talk about and and kind of follow from a listening perspective. So we're going to dive into our rankings here. We're going to start at the top. This is my tier one, the elite tier. These are five good players at least some cases multiple elite guys this has great coaching great scheme that fits these guys they play maybe better than some of their parts 
one through four. I have four teams in this tier. I have the Eagles. I have the Lions. I have the Browns. And I have the Chiefs. So, again, that's Philadelphia Eagles, one. Detroit Lions, two. Cleveland Browns, three. Kansas City Chiefs, four. Ben, what do you think about that group there? That is my top four as well. Now, I've mixed it up just a little bit. I still have the Eagles number one. Mm-hmm. They're not as they're not as bright and shining of a number one as they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, we will see if their Midas touch of drafting and developing from four mm-hmm. and five years ago continues on to this round of drafting and developing. But for now, they're still number one, and those are my top four. And none of these four are surprises. They've been pretty good, all four of these lines to some degree over the last two to three seasons. Now, the Chiefs, obviously, with tackle spots has been an issue, but that interior was very good last year. Um, so it's not a surprise that these four offensive lines are right here at the top for us. It's not like these teams came out of nowhere. Uh, they've been working on this for a while. What order did you put them in? You said you had the Eagles one. What did you do with two through four? Eagles one. I had the Chiefs at two. Okay. Um, Browns three, Lions four, but technically I gave them the, them the same grade. It was just head to head. Who did I rather have? Was what I can gotcha. to. I love that interior of the Chiefs. Creed Humphrey being taken like five picks after Pat Fryermuth. Will I love Pat, but it'll it'll haunt me forever. Um, interesting one and two uh, listeners who are just O line junkies and don't even know what happens in the NFL. I I see you. I understand you. Um, just kidding. Uh, those were your two Super Bowl competitors, two and, and either two of the top four, or you know, in Ben's case, that the top two offensive lines in the league just played in the Super Bowl. So it's pretty important. Um, I do want to. I'll quickly just go through left to right for all four teams, at least the starters. Um, you mentioned the Eagles; they could have a little bit of change. You mentioned the Chiefs had some change. I want to get the names out there, and then any of the names from the four teams that stand out to you or any of the the squads in general that you want to talk about will hit. But for the Eagles, left to right, Jordan Mailata, Landon Dickerson, who was also in that Creed Humphrey draft that I wanted, uh, Jason Kelsey. I have Cam Jurgens at right guard right now. I think he's getting the first crack at that job. And then Lane Johnson. Um, the Eagles have a number of guys that they can try at that right guard spot. Tyler Steen, shout out to Austin Freed of Tricky Takes. That was his guy. Um, even Tyrese Robinson, I don't think would be a bad option if they really had to. Sua Opita is a veteran that's been around, but uh, I think Cam Jurgens is going to be the first guy that gets a crack at that. Uh, for the Lions, Taylor Decker, Jonah Jackson, Frank Ragnow. I have Halua Pulivati Vatai. Uh, let's see, Graham Glasgow is back with the Lions. That could be a guy that takes that right guard spot. Um, and then Penny Sewell, who's really coming into his own at right tackle. The Browns, Jedrick Wills, Joel Petonio, Ethan Posich, uh, Wyatt Teller, Jack Conklin. No surprises there. Chiefs, their free agent signings of Donovan, Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor as the left and right tackle, respectively. And then returning interior, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith. Ben, any direction you want with those four groups? Uh, what stands out to you? Who do you want to talk about? Uh, two things real quick, and I won't stay along with either one. The first one that is a hot take, I think but not once you take a look at it. The first one is the Eagles. I think this is probably the last year that the Eagles have a truly dominant offensive line. Mm-hmm. It's not the last year they're good on offensive line, but I think we're watching the end of this dominance that they've had for several seasons now. 
Now, they haven't ignored it. They continue to draft it. We talked about Steen and Jurgens, and they'll continue to draft and develop. But listen, we've seen it so often. It's just so hard to do this again five and six years later. Sometimes you just get the magic touch. We, we have seen this so many times with so many teams. But when you hit on Lane Johnson and you hit on Jason Kelsey and you hit on Mylotta, it's just hard to keep doing that. And I know sometimes, listen, they'll continue to be good but I don't think they'll continue to be dominant because of age and injuries just kicking in. It's just hard for that next round of guys to be as good as the previous round. It, it just is. So, And then my other thing is, uh, this is a riser, Panay Sewell, the right tackle for the Lions. This is a name that you're going to see on all pro list for the next several years. Maybe not every season because there's a couple of other guys that are rising too. But Panay Sewell is quickly turning into just a dominant tackle I'll be interested to see if they eventually try to move him over to left tackle, and I don't mm-hmm. know and I don't care, but no matter where he's at, he's going to be competing for all pros every single season. He is quickly ascending up into that just elite category here in the NFL. Totally agree on Sewell. For the Eagles, I definitely find that interesting. I I would love to see this thing carry over, right? You know, Jordan Mailata is still young. This is only going to be his, like, fourth season i think in the mm-hmm. nfl um yep. i would love to see him kind of become the the lane johnson on the left side where hey i'm the i'm the elite run blocking tackle you can run behind i would love to see dickerson become the leader uh, i think he has that personality where he can i mean he's not going to be jason kelsey jason kelsey's a hall of famer um and maybe from a play perspective he could get to that kind of level but from a just person leadership what he means to Philadelphia, how long Kelsey has been there. He's not going to fill that part, but in terms of being the emotional crux leader of the group, I could definitely see um, there's, he was the, the, the Cam Jurgens before Cam Jurgens in terms of draft, play him at guard, make him the heir apparent to Kelsey. And then they get Jurgens in and Dickerson does well at guard. Um, but really for the Eagles, it's going to be up to Jeff Stoutland, the offensive line coach who's been there since 2015. 13 i believe um just like one of the best offensive line coaches in the nfl one of the best offensive line coaches uh you know in football recent history at least the modern era i'll I'll say um if he depending on how long he stays he's 61 right now maybe this is a situation where man that 2013 to now era is the kelsey you know lane era maybe when they go he goes and then i'll then i'll be like yeah you know it's going to be a, a little bit of a step back, but if Stoutland, Dickerson, and Mylotta are there for the next era, I still think they have a chance to be right there at the top. Uh, all right, hey. shall we hit tier two? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, for me on the Eagles, listen, it it would not surprise me for them to continue to be a top 10 O-line, but but they've been like in the top one or two for the past five yeah, seasons, and there's just no way, there's no way that's going to continue. I, I would just, that would shock me to no end. Um, and a, another part of it too, Development is huge, but the guys they're drafting, I wasn't especially impressed with in the draft. I mean, they're fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's going to take a lot of development to get them back up to the Johnson Kelsey level uh, yep. that we've been seeing. So we'll see. Yep, it'll be it'll be fun to watch for sure. Let's get to tier two. I have three teams here. Um, so this is my spots five, six, and seven. I have the Green Bay Packers, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Atlanta Falcons making a big jump. So again, the Packers at five. Cowboys at six, Falcons at seven. Ben, what do you think about that group? 
So I'm very close there. I also have the Cowboys at five. They've been dominant for a long time. They are now kind of past that, but mm-hmm. they're still pretty good, man. And I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to get bad this, you know, for the next couple of years either. They're they're going to stay around. So yep. they're they're good at five. The Packers I have at nine. Um, we'll see once back Tiari goes in a season or yeah. two if that drops off the cliff or not. But for now, if he's healthy, still a top ten line. And know the Falcons are the surprise. You mentioned it. They were so good at run blocking last year. Mm-hmm. But that's most of what the team did. So I'm interested mm-hmm. to see once they switch back up to a little bit more open offense with Ritter at quarterback, throw the ball a little bit, can they continue to do well in pass blocking? I think the answer is yes. That's why I've got them up here. I've got them at number seven. But this is the O-line that surprised me as I went through these grades of how high I was willing to put them. Uh, this was the one that surprised me. Ben and I did not compare these until literally today, where we've had these set for basically a week now. Um, I love that we had two teams the same here. I love that we both had the Falcons at seven, because we definitely had them in like the mid-teens last year, I think, at this yeah. time. Um, but this is a perfect example of the Falcons of – a coach coming in, and this is what I love about coaching, when you walk in and you say, who do I have? Okay, let me build something for them, right? And now maybe Arthur Smith was going to do that anyway, coming from the Titans and coaching Derrick Henry. Maybe he was always going to want big physical run game. But he looked at his five guys, didn't really make too many changes right away either. I mean, went from Matt Hennessy to Drew Dahlman at center just because he gets out on the hoof a little bit better. But they kept Caleb McGarry around. They extend Chris Lindstrom. Jake Matthews, the veteran, is still there. And they said, we're going to build an elite running team with this offensive line. And that's that's what they did, and it worked. And I don't know if they're going to open it up for Ritter anymore. Um, we'll talk more about Ritter and everything next month at some point. But I like they might just keep – they drafted B. John Robinson in the first round for a reason. I think they're going to keep running the ball. Um all right, let me hit the let me hit the lineup here for these guys, and, and you can tell me what stands out to you. The Packers, I have David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, who I like so much better at guard than tackle. Uh, Josh Myers at center, John Runyon at right guard, Zach Tom at right tackle, the last year's rookie who played well in Bakhtiari's absence. I think he gets the nod at tackle. For the Cowboys, the Cowboys could go a million directions right now, and I think. Uh, you know, ironically, Terrence Steele is the pivot point, which is funny because he's like the fifth best offensive lineman. Um, but what I have right now, based on OTAs and what the Cowboys are saying, is second-year player Tyler Smith, who, by the way, we were low on going the last year, and he was phenomenal. I have Tyler Smith at uh, left tackle, Terrence Steele penciled in at left guard, Tyler Biotish at center, Zach Martin, of course, at right guard, Tyron Smith moving to right tackle, the veteran, and then the Falcons left to right, Jake Matthews, rookie Matthew Bergeron, center Drew Dahlman, Chris Lindstrom at right guard, Caleb McGarry at right tackle. Ben, what stands out to you in those lineups? I'll stay with the Cowboys. You know, we talked about the Eagles. The Cowboys are a team that clearly is significantly past the top of the mountain. This, too, was an offensive line that used to just crush people with Zach Martin and and Tyron Smith being the root of that. They had plenty plenty of other guys to go along with it. Well, some of those guys have departed, and clearly Martin and Tyron Smith are not what they used to be. They're still better than average. You can't upgrade on them right now, but you know they're not the same. And then Tyler Smith is the new guy on the block uh, playing over there at left tackle. 
incredibly talented, still sloppy, a lot of penalties, but incredibly talented. He can just do way more than hold his own. He is significantly above average, surprised the heck out of me. So it will be interesting to see, can the Cowboys over the next couple of seasons continue to draft and develop their way into a top 10 offensive line? I've got them sitting at number five, but will that continue next offseason is kind of an interesting story for me. Yeah, the so last year they had Tyron Smith starting at left tackle before he got hurt. Tyler Smith was supposed to play left guard, and it was Biotish Martin, and then Lyle Collins who got cut, or they they let walk. They cut him during the season, I think maybe even and Terrence Steele. So that was the year of transition. This is the year of kind of the fallout where they're figuring out just who that left guard is going to be now. Um, Matt. Farniak, I believe is how you say his name, is is the guy that's getting the reps right now. He was the one getting first-team left guard reps at, at OTAs with Steele still out, and Zach Martin was sitting out of OTAs. Um, so we'll see what really does happen there. But if those guys are healthy, Martin, the Smiths, the Oddish, that's a great foursome, and they have a good option there at left guard. Um, anything else for you on this tier? No, uh, this is – this is probably the last tier where you and I don't have any significant disagreement. Um, it would not that we had a lot moving farther down, but we pretty much see the top six or seven, eight, a lot the same. Yep. Yep. Uh, we'll go ahead and hit this next tier because yes, we have number eight, the same, uh, but this is tier three. This is my young and on the rise. So we're going to get one example here of where Ben is on the same page as me and one where he does not quite yet see it. Um, but at eight, I have the LA Chargers, and at nine, I have the Carolina Panthers. Um, so just give me your thoughts on on those two teams, where you yeah, and so where I, you have them. I'll leave the Chargers alone. I think we I've got them yeah. at number eight. So the Panthers is the team for me. They're right in the middle of a cluster. I've got them at number nineteen, by the way. I've got them in the middle of a whole group that's just good, solid, working, competitive offensive lines that have the chance to be even better than that. And I'm scrolling over to my Panthers lineup right now. I love Iquano. I, mm-hmm. I, I just – I am so high on him. But if I'm judging where he is right now, that keeps me from boosting them up the line. Um, I, I Listen, I love Taylor Moten as well. I mean, he – over at the right tackle spot. Um, I'm not huge on Bradley Bozeman at center. And then I think Christensen and Corbett are fine at the guards, but not elevating. So that's where I'm just dragging them at 19. But if Iquana develops, that's really yep. the key. Yep. If he starts scooting up the ladder, and really year two is where you want to see it out of these offensive mm-hmm. linemen, then this this offensive line can just scoot way up the rankings very quickly. Yeah, I love this group. Uh, we when we did the, when we did the rankings last year, I was like. I was so we were looking at the 2021-22 tape, and they had moved. They, Brady Christensen had played three positions that season, and only one game at left guard, and I think like four at left tackle and like three at right tackle, something like that. And I was like, this guy needs to be a a penned in left guard for the rest of his rookie contract and maybe more than that. And that was what they did. I believe he played all 17 games there last season next to Aquanu, and it looked great as the year went on Bradley Bozeman coming in last year was the 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 perfect like we just need to drop in a vet center and it doesn't even have to be that good of a player 
and that's what happened and it worked out center for a, a lot of good Ravens teams for a long time. So that fit what they wanted to do at that point. Um, you mentioned Taylor Moten. He's been there a long time uh, is just like a classic right tackle that I enjoy. Just like plug and play. And you don't really think about him. Think about him. Austin Corbett came from the Rams. That's who I have left to right uh, this year as well. And yeah, mine's probably a little projection, but even we saw it as the year went along, they got better and better every week as they played together. Um, and then just as hit the left to right for the Chargers, um, some moving around for them. We have Rashawn Slater, Zion Johnson moving back to left guard, his college position, Corey Lindsley at center, Jamari Sawyer moving to right guard, and Trey Pipkins coming back at right tackle. Um, so any more thoughts on, on the Panthers or that group of Chargers? Real quick, I want to see Rashawn Slater get back to full health pre, mm-hmm. and pre-injury. We saw it last year with the Colts guard, Quentin Nelson. Um, he really struggled coming off of mm-hmm. that injury. Um, maybe Slater's in for a year of rust as well. I hope not. But if he's back to dominant, then that Chargers offensive line is number eight or higher. If he's struggling, then that offensive line is going to struggle too. It, that's just going to be the way it is. All right, tier four. So this is where it starts, I think, getting interesting from a, a conceptual level. So this is my elite tackle plus some good stuff here. And I have four teams in this group. I have the San Francisco 49ers at 10, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 11, the Houston Texans making a surprising appearance here up at 12, and the New York Giants. 13. So I'm going back and I'm looking at where I had the Texans last year and they're at 29 for me last season. Now it's not that much different of a group. I'll do the left to right just of this team compared to last year. Tunsil was there. Green was there. uh, Titus Howard was there. Scott Questenberry, I believe, started most of the games last season and they had AJ can at right guard instead of Shaq Mason, who they have now. And I'm not even like the biggest Shaq Mason guy, but that's really the only change. And I have them vaulted 17 spots. And that's because over the course of watching this year, after doing the rankings last year, I'm like, man, just having Laramie Tunsil, having that elite tackle makes such a huge difference. And I think that applies to all of these teams. So Niners at 10, Bucks at 11, Texans at 12, Giants at 13. What stands out to you there, Ben? But I, I think the Buccaneers, which I happen to agree with. Um, I think we were both surprised I, that we felt that way. <laughs> yeah, and I think the, the reason why I'm going there and why we were both surprised, I think perception is that the Buccaneers are falling apart and their offensive line is falling apart, which there's some truth to, but still, this is a pretty good offensive line. I have them at 13. Um, I think – and, and we can debate where they start out, but it looks to me like Tristan Wirfs, from what you're telling me, is switching over to left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke Gadecki probably switches over to right tackle for primary mm-hmm. snaps. Um, looks like Ryan Jensen, if healthy, should be back yep. for a strong center spot. And then I'm okay with Nick Leverett and Robert Hainsey being your guards. That's not mm-hmm. anything above average, but they should hold their own. Building off, you mentioned it, building off of Tristan Wirfs from either tackle, but assuming he looks good at left, which I think mm-hmm. he will by midseason, mm-hmm. um, this is a strong group. It, not a top five group, a very mm-hmm. strong group. I was surprised we both put them in this area, but perception is that they're just kind of falling apart and that they were bad last year and they're going to be bad this year. Yep. The injury thing was such a factor last year. They start the year with 
Ryan Jensen getting hurt. I don't even know if it was OTAs. It might have been like a, a, a mini camp or something. It might have been OTAs or, or first week of training camp, something like that. So he gets hurt. So you put Robert Hainsey in at guard or at center. And then they brought in Shaq Mason, and that never really jived. They went through a couple left guards between Gadecki and then Leverett, and Donovan Smith was in and out. And then when he was healthy, he was having a bad season because the rest of the offense was bad. It was just – it was all a mess last year. So when we get down to the Rams, it's a similar situation. All these injuries happen the offensive line is horrible because of it. You're calling up practice squad guys. You're getting guys that were cut from other teams. And then you come back the next year. And in the Bucks case, they also added dudes. I mean, they draft Cody Malk, the most highest Q rating player in the draft this season. I have him penciled in at right guard instead of Hainsey. And they go get my guy, Matt Filer. I have him penciled at left guard over Leverett this year. And now you're looking at – I have Worf, Spiler, Jensen, Malk, and Gadecki. Yeah, man, I feel good about that. Even if you think Filer is, is just average at this point, you put him behind between a healthy Jensen and then Worf's. And then Gadecki's the weak spot at right tackle, but this team has a number of tight ends that they can throw over there. I was pleasantly surprised with how much uh, – how highly rated I rated this group. You know, the Texans compared to last year is a much bigger gap. But based on the way last season ended, I thought I'd have this Bucks team lower. But looking at it, I feel pretty good about it. So let's do the left to right for the rest of the teams here. I uh, already did the Bucks, the Niners at 10, Trent Williams, Aaron Banks, Jake Brendel, Spencer Burford, Colton McKivitz, I think is going to get the first crack at right tackle. Skipping down to the Texans, I already mentioned, I'll say it again, Tunsil, Kenyon Green, Scott Questenberry, Shaq Mason, Titus Howard, and then the Giants, Andrew Thomas. We're going to have a battle at left guard between Ben Bredesen and Josh Azudu. I, I would hope Azudu would win, but they like Bredesen. We'll see. John Michael Schmitz at center, the rookie. Mark Lewinsky at right guard. And then last year's first-round pick, Evan Neal at right tackle. Um, any of those lineups, any of those specific players, or just anything else about these teams that you want to hit on? Yeah, listen, the, the Giants excite me, okay? Now, as of – and again, I didn't include this. I didn't tell the audience this on the grading – I've got my grades kind of set up to where I think they are right now. You've mm -hmm. built a little bit more projections for mid-season mm -hmm. or end-of-season into your grades. I am so excited for the Giants, man. Listen, <laughs> I mean, let's start with Andrew Thomas here, okay? Mm -hmm. Andrew Thomas is another guy that you're going to hear about for all pro consideration for the next yep. decade. I mean, he is just a stout beast sitting over there at left mm -hmm. tackle. He's still getting better. I don't think we've seen his best yet. I mean, you talk about a way to build off an offensive line. Start with a guy named Andrew Thomas, okay? Um, John Michael Schmitz, big guy at center. I think I, I, I'm excited about that. We'll see if it – you know, listen, I don't know if he'll ever be, you know, dominant or if he even settles in at center, if they try to shift him around the guard. I don't know what they'll end up doing with him in the long haul. But a guy that big who looked good in Minnesota, I like. I like the fact that he's even here. Um, and then Evan Neal, who I liked coming out of uh, out of Alabama last year. This is year two. Year one was not great for him. Yeah, but I he expect struggled. improvement. I expect to step up. So I'm really excited about where this line is going. And uh, we'll see if it's this year or next year. But it's heading up. I don't think there's any question about it. 
Yeah, Neil Neil's the, actually the big question mark because whoever wins that left guard job next to Andrew Thomas, who, by the way, this is my elite tackle tier, Trent Williams, Tristan Wirfs, Laramie Tunsil, Andrew Thomas is in that group now. He is he's vaulted completely there. So whoever's that left guard next to him, I'm fine with either of those guys, especially next to Thomas. Neil's the one that could send this ranking kind of crashing down if he's the same as he was last year. But I'm just not expecting it. I think he's too good. I think he I think he takes a step up. Maybe it's not still where you would want to be. Um, but I think he could step up. Who who else do they have that could play some tackle? Tyree Phillips used to be at Baltimore. I don't feel great about that. Matt Pert has been a backup for a long time. There's been there was talk about Evan Neal maybe playing guard when he came out. I wonder if halfway through the season, if it's not going well, and maybe Bredesen or Azudu haven't really made their mark. They say, let's just move Neil to left guard and let's pull in one of these vets to finish the year at right tackle and we do something else that could be interesting. Um, but yeah, I feel I, I'm very excited to see what this group looks like this year. That That is for sure. The Niners, we, we talked about this a lot. We won't talk about the individual guys, but obviously running behind Trent Williams, you can build anything based on that. But Kyle Shanahan and what he does for this run game and he Builds his offensive linemen and running backs and quarterbacks just like a computer of zeros and ones. If this, then this. You do this, I tell you that. Um, and the the guys it works for, they end up being good, even if coming out, even if their skills, even if their body type, like it shouldn't be good. I mean, they turned Jake Brendel into a guy they gave a three year contract to this off season. Um, it it almost doesn't matter who the players are. You just have to put the Niners at ten because. Shanahan is going to find the right five guys to run the scheme he wants. And, oh, yeah, Trent Williams is still an all-world left tackle. So so that's an interesting one for me also. Agreed. After Williams, the talent falls off and the athleticism yeah. falls off enormously for the 49ers. But you give them a franchise bonus or, like you said, a Shanahan bonus, whatever you want to call it. You just know that they'll be ready to go and, and do pretty well. And, and just to spend uh, um, uh, 60 seconds on the Texans again, Tunsil, uh, firm, firmly just elite, just incredible. I'm excited to see what Kenyon Green looks like now. Uh, you mentioned the young guys, Juke Scruggs and Jarrett Patterson, rookies this year. I think those are your long-term center and right guard behind Questenberry and Mason. Um, or at least I, I bet that's the plan. I bet they would like for that to work right. out that way. Right. And then Titus Howard is totally in that um, – that Taylor Moten uh, kind of kind of mold for me, just a, a big, strong, consistent right tackle that I, I love to see. Let's yeah, I, hit... I agree with you oh, about, Sorry. Uh, I agree with you about Scruggs and Patterson. That's the plan. We'll see if it works out, but it, it, I like the plan. Let's hit tier five, which is just one tier for me, or one team for me, I should say. You can tell me why I'm being a homer or not. Uh, tier five, good all the way across. Here's what I think is going to happen for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Week one, I think Broderick Jones, first round pick, is going to be walking out there at left tackle. He's obviously battling. I say obviously, like everyone here knows who you know Dan Moore is, the fourth round, third year player for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But anyways, he's battling Dan Moore for the left tackle job. Dan Moore is a guy who has gotten to league average, I would say. Completely fine, completely usable. And in my head, I think Broderick Jones is going to beat him, which means I see him as above average going into week one. Uh, they bring in Isaac Sayamalu at left guard. That's an improvement over Kevin Dodson. And then returning Mason Cole at center, James Daniels at right guard, Chooks a core for a right tackle. 
this is just good all the way across. This is that we don't have a star, but we also don't have a weak spot. We don't have any questions. We'll see how that position battle goes between our rookie and a vet, which is a position battle you want to have. It's not confusing. It's is the rookie better than the vet. Um, so for that, I have them right here, kind of in you know, just above the middle of the pack, because I see this team as good all the way across. So Steelers at 14. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on how I kind of laid out that lineup? Yeah, I like it because you're the Steelers insider. I'll just lay it out as to how I look, see it from afar as an outsider here. So um, when I look at the Steelers, I've got them as part of a 10-team group that is just solid, average, uh, competitive. Yeah, the offensive line will not be the reason they lose games, but will probably also not be the reason they win games is the way I view the Steelers and, and several of these teams here. Here's what I love about the Steelers. First of all, they got Mike Tomlin as the head coach. So they get the same uh, bonus that Shanahan gets. As you just know that they're going to be solid, even if the talent is lacking and the athleticism is lacking. Um, so I give them a franchise slash Tomlin upgrade every time. I love bringing in Broderick Jones. Listen, even if for some reason the left tackle thing doesn't work out, he can move to right tackle. He can move to guard. I mean, this guy can play at the NFL, I'm convinced, and do it above average. And I think it's left tackle, but even if it, you know, even if long term that's not going to work out, that no big deal. This guy can play and move around. So he'll they'll be fine. And then they brought in Isaac Samalu. So I like the fact that they're finally bringing in athleticism and talent. That's important. And then the way I look at it, I see five guys after that. You, you've, you've got them braided in different orders. I've got five guys after that who to me look like they now have a world of experience and they've, they've got experience in the Steelers system and they didn't look horrible. No, I didn't think they looked above average, but they didn't look horrible either. So you've got these mm -hmm. other five guys to just put in wherever you want them to. And obviously you know where you want them to go. That's how I see it from afar. And I, I like it. I really do. What was your, I don't know, I think we got them for the last four, but just these last five teams that we covered, the Niners, the Bucks, the Texans, the Giants, the Steelers, where did you have those teams ranked? So the Niners, number 12, okay. uh, the Steelers at 21, but part of that cluster. Uh, who else am I missing there? The Bucks, you said you had at 11, right? Yeah, uh, Buccaneers, 13, yes. 13, 13. And then Texans and Giants. Uh, I've got the Texans at 25, but if if Green starts to move up, I think that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm sorry, what was that last team again? Uh, the Giants. Yeah, so the Giants, I've got part of that mid-team cluster at 18, but that's just part of a 10-team cluster there. Yeah, that one's not too far apart. The Steelers and the Texans were the, the further apart ones for us so far. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Panthers, obviously, which we talked about. Let's hit tier six here. This is my good tackle, but some questions with the rest of the group. Um, and I have six teams here, so we'll we'll do three at a time for this one to start. I have the Vikings here. I know you're high on the Vikings. Um, mm -hmm. I So I have them at 15. I have the Saints at 16. And I have the Bills at 17. So I'll kind of hit why these three teams are in this tier, and then I'll kick it to you. The Vikings, good tackle. Check, check. They have two of them, Christian Darisol and Brian O'Neill. Some questions. The interior of this line, I think it's fine. But we also are pretty sure they've been trying to improve it for a year or two um, in, in one place or another. Um, so I think there's some questions there. And health, Christian Darisol 
has been hurt um, on and off for the last couple of seasons. So that's a question. The Saints, good tackle. Ryan Ramchek plugged in at right tackle. You are good to go. That is one of the best right tackles in the league. Questions everywhere else. You know, do, do you give it to Trevor Penning at left tackle? Is the interior going to be healthy this year? Andrus Pete is a very good left guard, but he's hurt all the time. Eric McCoy gets hurt. Cesar Ruiz has had to play center, left guard, and right guard since he's been there. Um, so he, he's never fully developed. There's just a question about the health and who's going to play left tackle for the Saints. And then the Bills. I have at 17. Deion Dawkins is a guy I really like at left tackle. The question is, who's playing right guard? Is it Ryan Bates? Is it Osiris Torrance? Is Connor McGovern coming in going to be a plus player at left guard? Is Spencer Brown going to finally take a leap at right tackle? But those are the first three teams I have in this tier. The Vikings, the Saints, the Bills, 15 through 17. Ben, what do you think about those three teams? I won't spend long on the Saints and Bills because I have them almost almost identical. So the Saints at number 16 and the Bills at number 17. I respect both offensive lines, but to me, both offensive lines need continual maintenance and upgrade as the years go on. That's just the way I, I see it. So um, the Vikings, though, you're right. I'm a lot higher than you. So this is one of our biggest differences. Mm -hmm. I've got them at number six clustered with the Falcons and Chargers. Wow. And yep. the, I, I know why it is. I know why I like them so good. For me, it's it's all about Christian Derisau. I've actually got him at this point rated higher than Tunsil. I just – I'm – I love what Christian Derisaw is doing. Now, you're right. The injuries are a problem. And if you're going to account for everything, you need him to be on the field all the time. It can't be a part of the season. It's going to be all the time. But when I see Derisaw on the field, I see a guy in Derisaw who, if he stays healthy, could actually be pushing for Hall of Fame. I mean, that's, you know, that's potential. That's projection. But that's how much I really like what I'm seeing out of Derisaw, that ability to truly dominate – Every week is what I'm seeing. Um, so we'll see if that happens or not. But that's why I've got that's why I've got the Vikings so high. I also really like Brian O'Neill. I think better than a lot of people do. I see him as an asset every week. Um, maybe not against you know, listen, not against uh, not against the, the elite edge rushers, but against everybody else. I see Brian O'Neill at that right tackle spot as being an above average surplus kind of a player too um, on most weeks. So that that's why I've got the Vikings at six. Yeah, you could definitely make the case, especially if you put them together, right? Because this tier is there's a very good tackle. But to have two very good tackles, even if you're not quite where you're at with Darisaw in terms of putting him in elite status right now, having him and O'Neal is 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 huge. It, it really gives you a lot of options um, for what you want to do with your offense. So I, I really like that one. My next three teams I have in this tier – we see very differently. So I'm very excited to talk about this one. So this is my 18, 19, and 20. Again, this is tier six, good tackle plus some questions. I have the Seattle Seahawks at 18, who was my 32 team last year. <laughs> and those rookie tackles, we said it in this video. I distinctly remember we said this team could be a lot higher if these tackles hit. But how often do rookie tackles hit right away? Well, it happened last year because these guys were good week one. They tailed off a little bit as the season went, but that whole Seahawks team did. But the Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas combination there has been huge for the Seahawks. Um, so I have them at 18. 
The Dolphins, I actually have at 19. For as much as I've berated the Dolphins, they still have good players here. And it starts with Teron Armstead. When he's healthy, he's very, very good. They upgraded the other tackle spot, bringing in Isaiah Wynn. Um, and then the Rams, you know, I have here at 20. So this was the other team similar to the uh, Chargers from last year. Oh, the, and the Bucks, who just got so hurt last year that we forget how good their actual five guys are. The good tackle is Rob Havenstein, uh, another right tackle, another top right tackle. And the questions, yeah, they're everything else. You know, uh, we think Avila is going to be good. We think Bruce is going to be good, but he was hurt last year. We know Brian Allen is fine. We think Nopu might be good, but we're not. That's the biggest question, I would say. Um, but those are the next three teams. I have Seahawks at 18, Dolphins at 19, Rams at 20. Give me your give, give us your rankings for those three first because we're very different there and then anywhere you want to go after that. Yeah, so I've got the Dolphins 27, the Seahawks 28, and the Rams 29. That's a whole 10-spot drop mm-hmm. across the board. Yep. This is probably where we see the biggest difference in me trying to grade current status and you trying to project, I, mm-hmm. I think is what's happening, especially on the Rams. I'm going to start with the Rams. Um, I, I like where they're going here. Um, Steve Avila, and I forget which guard spot that he's going to start at. Probably left. Probably left. Probably the left. Listen, I love Avila. I was trying mm-hmm. to get everybody in the world to draft this guy out of Texas Christian. His his pass blocking, to me, looks like it could be elite in the future. I'm just not sure it's going to be this year. So that's that's where I'm at on that. Brian Allen is a good, solid center, and I don't, I don't think there's anything more or less. Love Havenstein at right tackle. Um. But again, I don't think Havenstein is dominant. I just think he's above average and very good. So that would be that would be where I, I slot him. I still think left tackle is going to be a big problem this year. It, it's I think that's going to be a sore spot all year long. And then Logan Bruce, hey, my projection for Bruce is this is a high end projection is that he works out to just be a good solid starter. And I don't even think that's going to happen this year. So that's why I've got them dragging down. But I love the fact that they think they've got four starters locked in. I mean, <laughs> that's a big difference from last year, man. Yep. And, you know, one of them looks like he's still going to be Havenstein solid mm-hmm. for a couple of seasons at least, maybe three. Yep. And then you have a couple of young guys there. So I really, really like the fact that they've addressed it. They're working on it. It's a work in progress. I really like what they're doing here. Yeah, I, I really like the build. It's interesting, you know, the Bills and Rams being in this group because a guy that people were high on a couple of years ago, David Edwards, the big guard who was with the Rams, the Rams let him go and he's getting like the minimum from the Bills. We didn't even mention him. He might not even start. Um, yeah. And he was a guy that we thought was going to be like the next kind of stalwart on that line. And then he deals with injuries and just never kind of gets his footing back. Um and so the connection there in my head is if they feel good enough about Bruce and Avila to let Edwards walk for basically nothing, then I have then I have some confidence. Um, right. So that's that's where I'm at with those guys. Let me give you the left to rights for all six of those teams. We've talked about the Vikings. We've talked about the Rams. So anybody else you want to hit on, we can. Um, but we have Christian Darisaw, Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury, Ed Ingram, Brian O'Neill for the Vikings. For the Saints, Trevor Penning, Andrews Pete, Eric McCoy, Cesar Ruiz, and Ryan Ramchek. For the Bills, Deion Dawkins, I have Connor McGovern slated at left guard, Mitch Morse. 
I have Osiris Torrance kind of penciled in at right guard, but we mentioned Ryan Bates could take that or keep that job, I should say. They paid him a lot of money, so they would hope so, but they also draft Torrance in the second round. And then Spencer Brown at right tackle. For the Seahawks, Charles Cross at left tackle. Damian Lewis keeping his spot at left guard. Center. I'm going to come back to center. Uh, Phil Hayes I have at right guard. Um, they moved on from Gabe Jackson. They want Haynes to take the job full-time. Abraham Lucas at right tackle. Evan Brown is a free agent signing from Detroit for Seattle. They want him to be the center. They, they, I think he was running the first team reps at OTAs. They were speaking highly of him. I'm doing my Cordell Volson shot call of 2023 with Olu Oluwatimi from Michigan. I think this guy's going to be the starting center of week one. I, I just, I don't think Evan Brown is the guy you want to walk in as your day one starting center. I think he's a great swing interior backup guy. I think they want Haynes to be the starting right guard. And again, the Evan Brown center capability. I think Oluwatimi is going to be the starting center for the Seahawks. The Dolphins, Teron Armstead, Liam Eikenberg, I have keeping that left guard job. Connor Williams at center, Robert Hunt, right guard. Isaiah Wynn, the upgrade over Austin Jackson. And Greg Little, who was the right tackle for most of last year. And then the Rams, we said it. No boom, Avila, Brian Allen, Bruce, and Caden Stein. What stands out to you with those names, those position battles, anyone that you want to hit that's that's kind of competing? I'll, I'll try to be quick on this, but for me, the fascinating part is the Seahawks here, okay? I mean, listen, I love the Seahawks. They surprised me across the board last year. I love where they went last year. I love where they're going. I love where they are. I don't like what they're doing with the offensive line, and I think part of this comes down to me looking at talent and athleticism as a general manager mindset, which is the way I always come at it versus a guy like a Pete Carroll or a Bill Belichick or a Harbaugh looking at it from a coach's mindset. And, you know, their idea is give me the clay and I'll mold it. And my idea is let me give you some talent here and see the bonus difference. So, you know, they're looking at a guy like Haynes very differently than how I do. I'm like, Mm -hmm. man, you know, I I can see you working with Haynes, but you've got a serious cap there. Like there's a serious ceiling there. And I feel the same way about really Evan Brown and Damian Lewis, not not Lewis so much, but Brown. It's like, man, I can see you working with those guys. I was begging the Seahawks to draft another interior offensive lineman this year or even two. And for the most part, other than Olawatima here, and I think maybe one other, other, Bradford, I think, maybe they pulled it off the UDFAs. They basically ignored it, which basically meant they were basically okay with what they had. <laughs> And I'm like, see, I'm, I'm, my mindset is, no, 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 you, you got Cross and Lucas last offseason. Now take it another step farther here. Yeah. Add in another, you know, second, third-round draft pick. They didn't do that. They'll be fine. They, they will be fine. Uh, but if I'm grading talent and athleticism, that's why I've got them graded farther back, even though they're going to be just fine here on the offensive line. And, and I know it. They get that same Carroll franchise bonus that we talked about. I remember – Damian Lewis, I just want to shout out because I remember his rookie tape struggling, and he had nine penalties as a rookie. He only had four in 2021. He only played 13 games. But last year, he only had six in 16 games. Um, so cutting down on the penalties was a big thing for him. Um, so we'll see if that's a position they upgrade at some point. I, I, but I do think he's pretty good and young. Um, but yeah, they, I, I, I'm with you. I, I would like to see additions to things every year. I think this was a team that 
could have gotten one of those top centers in the draft um, and instead went with another running back, which you and the listeners know how I feel about <laughs> that. We won't open that can of worms back up. Um, but yeah, I'm, I am projecting those tackles being even better. Damian Lewis being fine. I want to see all of what's in me. So yeah, I think that, I think that makes a lot of sense. And to be clear, I, I like Damian Lewis too. I should back off of that cap ceiling comment with him. I should probably say, he can be above average and maybe compete for Pro Bowl. I just don't see him as being a, a standard year-in, year-out Pro Bowl kind yeah. of guy. Is, is no, I'm, really I'm, I'm totally with you. I think he's just yep. – you're if you're a Seahawks fan, you love him because he's the guy that you just right. don't have to worry about. And yes. if you're not yep. a Seahawks fan and you don't do what we do of recording podcasts about offensive linemen for fun, <laughs> um, you just don't know who he is or, how, or, or if he's good. So that's that's what Agreed. they do as well. Yes. Let's hit tier seven. It's another big tier. I have, is it seven teams? Eight teams. I have eight teams in this tier. So this is my big one. This is the, you have a good, or or it should be a good group. But I have so many questions that it's probably not going to be good. (laughs) If everything works out or 80% of the questions I have go positive, this is a good team. This is a good line. But that probably won't happen, so you're probably not going to be that good. So we'll we'll get into it. There's a lot of gray area with that, and I even have different feelings about the different teams within it. But here we go. So this is my 21 through 28. I'll hit the first three teams here to start. At 21, I have the Colts. At 22, I have the Jets. And at 23, I have the Bengals. And actually, let me do four because there's eight. I can't do math. The Jaguars at 24. Um, I have the Jaguars at 24. So Colts, Jets, Bengals, Jaguars, 21 through 24. Ben, what are you thinking? Yeah, there's no question here. We've now gotten into the second half, yep. the lower half of these lines. So um, I've got the Colts at 15, which is not too far away from where you were, I don't think. I, I don't remember exactly where you had them. Um, the Jets at 20. The Jaguars at 23. And what's the other team I'm missing there? The Bengals. Yeah, the Bengals at uh, 24. But most of these teams are all part of that 10-team cluster of just good, solid average for me. The one I want to talk about is the Jaguars, actually, here. Um, We were even talking about them earlier today, and you had mentioned something I thought was very interesting. Matter of fact, if you don't mind, I think I'm going to let you lay out what you have heard that they may try to do once they get all the pieces back together, because I really liked it. Yeah, definitely. So the Jaguars going into the, let's go back to the draft. Let's go back to draft day. Cam Robinson, some combination of Ben Barcher, Tyler Shatley at left guard, Luke Fortner, Brandon Sheriff, Walker Little was going to be their starting five. Juwan Taylor going to the Chiefs. They were ready for Walker Little, second round pick to kind of take that job. Then Cam Robin, we come, we uh, get to draft day. Cam Robinson, six game suspension. This is a team that's trying to win the AFC. They're trying to compete for a Super Bowl. They need to keep Trevor Lawrence upright. They go get Anton Harrison in the first round. So now they're like, okay, well, when Cam Robinson comes back, we have this rookie first rounder that's going to have six games under his belt. What do we do with these three tackles? That left guard position I mentioned, there's a position battle. Both guys are fine. It's not great. It's probably a step down from the Giants position battle at left guard. They want to move Walker Little into left guard. So they would probably have 
let's say let's say they keep Anton Harrison at left tackle. That's the guy of the future, even though Cam Robinson they've paid for a while, but coming back from the suspension. So let's just say in their ideal world, if everyone's healthy, it's Anton Harrison, Walker Little, Luke Fortner, Brandon Sheriff, Cam Robinson. If that's the five and they're healthy, that's that's a darn good five, man. Because that's also assuming that Anton Harrison wasn't horrible in those six games or by game six. He's right. pretty good. Right. Um, now, obviously, the variable for that is, is he going to be good? Is Cam Robinson going to come back and be good after a suspension? Can Walker Little pl- play guard? That's an important thing to figure out. Is Brandon Sheriff still going to be a, an above average to very good guard at his age? Is Luke Fortner going to take a jump? There's so many questions. But that, if those five, those are their best five, if those five could actually fit on the field together and be healthy, then I think that would be exciting. I agree. And I'll, and again, you mentioned that everything's got to fall into place for that to happen. But I like that plan. Once you get everybody back that you want to have back, I love that plan. Now, the two caveats I will say to that are I need them to get this figured out by, say, week nine or ten. If they're mm-hmm. still fooling yeah. around in, yeah. say, late November with this stuff, it could be just real messy. So they, they yep. can't do that. They can't be all cute, just swapping people around. It's going to take half a season to do it. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. But by, you know, third quarter of the season, they need to have this settled in somehow and just stick with it. And then what I would add to that is, because, listen, um, they've got some young guys here, but at, work on it again next off season. So figure out the one part that didn't work and upgrade that. Don't just leave it like this. But I love that plan. I mean, that's the first I'd heard of it is when you mentioned it today, mm-hmm. and I love it. I absolutely love all of it. So maybe to, to avoid multiple switches and not having a great plan, maybe a better way to do that then is to make Walker Little the left tackle, put Anton Harrison at right tackle. That way that guy is next to Brandon Sheriff. That's a great place to be. Yeah. You put Walker a little at left tackle. That way he starts getting used to being back on the left side, which I think is where he played in college at left tackle. Cam Robinson comes, and that's your, you know, so your first six games are Walker Little, let's just say Ben Barch, Luke Fortner, Brandon Sheriff, Anton Harrison. And then when Cam Robinson comes back, when he's ready and you're ready, you just say Walker Little, just bounce into guard now. You've been on the left side all season. Um, this won't be a big switch for you. You just bump in. Cam Robinson's going to play next to you. That's an, that's a plus left tackle that you're playing next to, so you'll be covered up a little bit. Um, you'll hopefully be an upgrade over Barch or Shatley, whoever it is. And meanwhile, Anton Harrison's getting 17 games at tackle his position next to Brandon yep. Sheriff. Agreed. And I, this is where I don't, I don't remember what team we were talking about earlier, but how public perception – I think public perception on the Jaguars is extremely high right now. Mm-hmm. And me personally, I'm, I, I'm kind of thinking one more year. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think there's a couple of parts and still the AFC is so tough. I'm still thinking in my head one more year, whereas public perception is like, oh, they're going to come out and just kill it this year. Hey, yep. Maybe not. Maybe they will. But I, you know, we'll see. This is one reason why I'm thinking maybe one more year away, that plus the secondary. But anyway – um, I love the plan there. I, I really do. What, I love what you're putting down there. Just to do the left and right for these other three teams here, the Colts, who I had at 21, you have up at 15, which is where I had them up until a couple of days ago. Uh, Bernard Raymond, second-year player at left tackle. 
Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Will Fries. That's the big question. Is still slated at right guard. And then Braden Smith. So their questions are, uh, Will Fries is going to play right guard again. We're going to do that. And then are the other guys healthy? And is Bernard Raymond making another jump? He did over the course of the season. He needs another. The Jets, Dwayne Brown. So this is what I have right now. I'll just say the Jets questions are, is anybody healthy? That's what I want to know. Um, but what I have penciled in right now is Dwayne Brown, Lakin Tomlinson, Joe Tittman, Joe Tittman all day, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, and Max Mitchell. Obviously, I'm not saying Makai Becton. We don't know. He's apparently in great shape. Whatever. Um, I hope he is. That's not a whatever at him. It's just a great shape thing. Um there's Carter Warren, the rookie. There's Connor McGovern, the other center. Um, there's a lot of ways you could go with this for them. It's health. And then the Bengals left to right, Orlando Brown Jr., Cordell Volson, Ted Karras, Alex Kappa. And then I think Jonah Williams, Lyle Collins is still on the team, but we'll, we'll see what happens. And then we already did the Jaguars left to right. So for those other three teams, Colts, Jets, Bengals, their left to right, position battles, names to watch. What else are you thinking about? Uh, real quick on the Jets, I, I want to be clear. There are players here that I really like. Now, it's got the potential to be very messy. I mean, it really does. The injuries alone could be messy. If the, Even if everybody's healthy and they can't get everybody in the right spots, it could be messy. If they're not jiving with Aaron Rodgers, it could be messy. Okay, but still, um, I really – I love Mekhi Beckton. I'm just hoping he is healthy and finds a spot, wherever that is. Maybe it's a guard someday. I don't know. But it, I, I hope he gets to keep – a spot because I really believe that he's he can be legit. I love Elijah Vera Tucker. I uh, really like him. And, and you and I have our jokes about Tipman and McGovern. Listen, let's assume Tipman takes the center spot. McGovern could actually be an upgrade at the guard spot too. They could scoot him around. But I love Tipman coming out. I just figured he was a year away from starting. Maybe he does. I still have a, a McGovern there. But Tipman is a guy who can move around too. If they decide, hey, next mm-hmm. offseason that McGovern's just gone, that doesn't necessarily mean that Tipman has to be center. He can guard, he can do guard as well. He's flexible, so I love that. Um, a lot of pieces here to like, but they got to get them locked in here if you're the Jets. Yeah, maybe it's a situation where the tackles Dwayne Brown, Mackay Beckton, Max Mitchell, all are hurt, or two of them are hurt, and you don't feel great about Carter Warren, and you put Elijah Bear Tucker at tackle again, which he was still very very good at, and then McGovern and Tipman are both in there, and then we're both happy because we deeply care about the interior offensive line of the New York Jets because we're sickos. Hello, everybody. Brandon Tim here telling you all to listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise, a podcast giving you the insights to help you win your fantasy football leagues. Together, we will look at everything fantasy football, from the platforms we use to navigating weekly player projections. Listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise, a Box Score Network podcast. We'll see you at the next episode. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Parker. And I'm Robert Zenvire, and we are the Odds on Favorite, presented by Boxcore Network. Every week, we analyze NFL point spreads, over-unders, props, futures, and much more. Follow us on Twitter, at Odds on Favorite, and listen on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts.
All right, the next four of this tier, tier seven should be good, but with questions, I have the Ravens at 25, the Patriots at 26, the Broncos at 27, and the Bears at 28, making the jump from the bad tier. Not by much, but, but they did it. Um, so, so Baltimore, 25, New England, 26, Denver, 27, Chicago 28. Ben, what stands out to you from those teams, and where do you have them ranked? So the grades, uh, the biggest difference is the Ravens. I have them all the way up at 11. Mm -hmm. um, the the Bears I have at 22. Um, what were the other two teams as well? The Broncos and the Patriots. I've got the Broncos all the way up at number 10 as well, wow. and then the Patriots up at number 14. So this is we've seen a pretty big difference here. I yep. want to talk about the Bears, though. Man, this is a team that I just bashed and destroyed for the past two years on their offensive line. Mm -hmm. And I'm not doing that anymore, all right, because they've yep. actually given it some attention. And I'm yep. proud of them for doing it, okay? So, yep. Braxton Jones at left tackle. I love it, okay? Now, I don't think he'll ever make an all-pro. He might not ever make a Pro Bowl. But I love it. I, I think mm -hmm. he's – I think you can ink him in there for the next couple of seasons. Um, and, and then decide if you want to pay him or not. I might not, but, you know, rookie yep. contract, I'm all in. Um, Darnell Wright, love him, right tackle. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe he struggles first year, I don't know, but I love plugging him in at right tackle and working through it. Yep. Um, Nate Davis, who, listen, I don't necessarily think he's a pro bowler either, but he's a massive upgrade mm -hmm. over some of the stuff the Bears have been trotting out there at right guard the past few years. Mm -hmm. It's just and then Tevin Jenkins is a guy who really uh, is not great, just good solid left guard, but has struggled on some bad lines. Yep. But now all of a sudden you put him with more talented players and it should mm -hmm. pull him up. Mm -hmm. So his, his performance should be up because he's around good players. Now, center, I don't yet know what they're going to do there, if it's Whitehair or Borum or I, maybe somebody else. I don't know. Uh, so that's still a problem, a big problem. That's why they're down at 22 still. But this team is heading in the right direction, and I hope they add to it next offseason, uh, like I said, with another couple of teams. Yep. Yeah, I think I think the plan is to put Whitehair back at center, which unfortunately I think is a couple years too late. He, he had a good run at center for them, and then he moved to guard, and it just went badly. And I think now he's just over the hill and, and just kind of done. Um, so I don't think that's going to go well. Again, I, I have my 28 for a reason. But I'm with you on, I mean, Braxton Jones, that move was so far out of left field that it wasn't even on my radar. And and that was probably my mistake, just not paying enough attention to Chicago going into last year through OTAs and training camp and preseason, the, the way we're doing now. But week, maybe it was the first preseason game. I might It was probably the first preseason game, actually. Might have been regular season week one. Anyways, it was whatever game they were playing the Chiefs. And, and that was when I slacked you. And I was like, who is this left tackle for Chicago? What is going on? And just over the course of the season, just became solid. And I think Darnell Wright's good. I've loved the Nate Davis move. I'm not saying if they had done one more move, they would have gotten vaulted up to the next tier or into the top 20 or anything like that. But I mean, I mean, right. I'll tell you right now, if they go sign Ben Jones tomorrow, they go up to like 24 or something, you know, they, they move up a few spots for me if they go make one more right. upgrade because Jenkins yes. or Whitehair, probably neither one should be starters by next season. 
Um, but they made the investment to see if Fields is the guy. I think they've done – it's still not great, but I think it's enough to show, hey, you know, to make a proper evaluation of Fields. Um, why do you have the Broncos so high? <laughs> if yeah, you want to do the left to right, you can. Uh, but just, just the Broncos being being all the way up at 10 for you. Because you were higher probably, on them last year than than I was also. I don't think it was quite to this degree for either of us. But um, yeah, Broncos well, you the left to right, and I'll tell you why I got him so high at number 10. So I have it as Garrett Bowles, Ben Powers, who they just signed, Lloyd Cushenberry, Quinn Miners, and then Mike McGlinchey, who they just signed. Yes. Uh, okay, so here, here it is. They're actually part of a cluster. You can always pull, you know, pull any one of these out of a bag. Um, a cluster with, say, the Ravens, the Niners, the Bucks, the Patriots, the Packers. I, I had all of them rated very similarly. Mm. I, I think this Broncos team could push people around when it comes to running the football. I really yep. do. And I think that's what they're going to do. I don't think they're going to do – I think most of their passing is going to be play action. I think they're going to run mm-hmm. first, and then I think they're going to let Russell Wilson loose. We did it. We just named the quarterback. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> So cool. They're gonna let I said they're gonna let Russell, two minutes ago. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. So you already did it. <laughs> they're gonna let Russell Wilson play action and play out in the flats after running the football. But I think that starts with this running game, and I think the lot the line can do that. Reminds me a little bit of what maybe the Falcons did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this Broncos offensive line is gonna look very good because of that. Now, listen, <laughs> when you're actually grading talent, which is what I've done for every other team, but not this one. <laughs> When you're actually grading talent here, outside of Garrett Bowles, who's an outstanding left tackle, um, this is not an overly talented offensive line. And I don't know that a pass coverage they are, but I just think that that's the way Sean Payton's going to do this. I think it's going to make them look really good, and that's why I graded them this way. Now, to be fair, if they were going to be like the Chiefs and pass the football all the time, then I think this offensive line plummets down to like number 20 or 25. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that's, that's a root. I think that's, that's a really good call at. by you because McGlinchey and Powers, those are offensive linemen you take when you're going to run the ball. Um, I might, I probably do have them a little low. I still probably wouldn't go to 10, but like you said, it's part of a big cluster. I'm not quite as high on Garrett Bowles. I just, uh, that that wasn't, I mean, I think he's fine. I, I just had him in that like slightly above average group. Lloyd Cushenberry is another one of those, similar to Cesar Ruiz, who's gotten moved around a bunch. Um, they've yeah. tried a number of different things, but yeah, the Sean Payton effect. This team is going to run the ball. Um, I do. I, that's probably pretty good. That's probably I probably should have them in the twenty to twenty-two range. Still probably in this group because we still just don't know what they will look like together. I don't think the ceiling is that high, but I do think that's pretty good. One guy, as I was going through the Broncos snap counts from last year that we forgot to mention with the Jets, who we were both excited to talk about before we started recording, was Billy Turner. Um, so just throw another guy with the Jets, another former Packer, who can play a lot of different positions when they need. So that is interesting. I think that makes sense on the Broncos. We just did the left to right for the Broncos and Bears, but I'll do the Ravens and Patriots now. Uh, for Baltimore, I have Ronnie Stanley, Ben Cleveland, Tyler Linderbaum, Kevin Zeitler, and Morgan Moses. Essentially the same group as last year. Ben Powers, who we just mentioned for Denver, was on Baltimore, but Ben Cleveland has made a number of starts. He'll be fine there. They have Patrick McCarry. They're kind of backing up really all five positions. 
Um, that's a good backup there. And then the Patriots have Trent Brown, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Michael Owenu. And at right tackle right now, Riley Reef is the guy getting the first crack at it. I'm making my second Cordell Volson uh, called shot of the offensive line of the year. City Sal is going to get this job. I mean, we said it draft night. Uh, we said it on our draft reaction pods over on the stat sheet. Um, and I said it in my draft grades at, on draft weekend. They didn't draft the tackle. They didn't do it early. We thought Roger Jones might be on their on their radar. They trade back with the Steelers, actually. Pittsburgh takes them. And I was like, one. they, they drafted three guards in, on day three. One of them is just going to end up being our starting right tackle. And – Sure enough, rookie minicamp, we get reports he's taking snaps at tackle, OTAs, he's getting he's getting reps there with the lines. City Sal is going to be the Patriots right tackle for 10 years, and he's going to be awesome. And it's just – it is what it is. Everyone get used to it. But right now, Riley Reef is penciled in. Sal will be the starter. You you know that the that egotistical side of Belichick can't wait to have City Sal and Cole Strange from Chattanooga mm-hmm. and Eastern mm-hmm. Michigan as starting mm-hmm. guard and tackle. Just so you can show everybody, yeah, I still got a little edge here. <laughs> and, and Trent Brown, who was yes. came out of nowhere for the Patriots and then got paid by the Raiders and was awful for the Raiders and then goes back to the Patriots and he's good again. Just like, yeah, that's peak, <laughs> peak Belichick, just running circles around yes. everybody. Uh, anything else for you on, on this group of four teams here? No, I, I could talk about them all night, but I, I think we need to keep it moving here, okay? Let's get to the fun part, Ben. Tier eight, bad. I just wrote bad. No, nothing else. There's no – there's nothing else to say. And you could and, – and for my tiers, by the way, guys, we could quibble over the orders. My tiers are, are basically designed to – you can move them around and, and be fine with it. Um, so here's, I waited till now to tell you that, but tier eight, the bad tier, I have the Raiders at 29, which I might talk myself into flopping for 30, which is the Cardinals. Um, 31, I have the commanders and at, sorry, commanders, sorry, Robinson. Uh, and at 32, I have the Titans. I'm pretty, pretty solid on that one. Um, but Ben, this bottom group here, man, what do you got? All right, so the Commanders, in spite of how much they've been mocked, and they deserve it, by the way, the Commanders have enough pieces to where they may actually put together a halfway halfway decent O-line. I'm not mm-hmm. – Yeah, we'll know, talk about I'm what not, they can do because they, they could swing differently for me depending on what they end up doing during the yeah, season. Yeah, so let, let's talk about the, the bad and the ugly. Now, I'm actually surprised you didn't have the Cardinals at 32 – because yep. I had the Cardinals as by far the worst O-line. So I'm going to talk about oh, – let me dump all over the Cardinals for just a minute here. Dude. And then you can dump all over the Titans if you want. Listen, where do we start <laughs> with the Cardinals? So I like DJ Humphreys, but I don't love him. Mm-hmm. He's just a good, solid tackle. And then Will Hernandez is a decent guard. Mm-hmm. After that – you have you have a lot of pieces that don't fit together. You yep. have a you, it's like there is no plan here, um, which may be the plan. Um, you mentioned that um, they have guys who shouldn't be starting at at least two positions. They shouldn't be starting in the NFL at all, probably. Um, at least last year that was the case. Um, Paris Johnson, 
I like him. You love him. Mm-hmm. I'm a little worried about sloppiness and inconsistency, not talent, but still – At least they drafted somebody, but I don't know where they're going to put him this year. Right tackle, left tackle, guard, who knows. Um, Beecham, whom I've loved for years, is way, way past any prime he's ever had. Mm -hmm. Um, By years past the prime. It's just a mess. There's not a lot of talent here. There's a little bit of talent here. But it's like puzzle pieces that don't fit. It's like purposely messy. But it was messy last year, long before we thought it got on purpose here. So, this is a bad offensive line. I think it's going to be bad all year long. And you've mentioned it. Other people have mentioned that that may not be an accident. Let me make the case for the Cardinals at a at a whopping twenty nine. All right, do it, man. At, at, do at, it at a, at a just <laughs> scorching twenty nine. Because I'm doing that I'll in the moment. Care. I'm making the Cardinals twenty nine, and the Raiders are thirty now. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned it, DJ Humphreys, totally fine left tackle. Yes. All right. Whatever. <laughs> Kelvin Beecham certainly passed his prime. I mean, first off, maybe the best, and I'm biased here because it was by the Steelers, but one of the best seventh-round picks in, I don't know, the last 20 years or so, just by sheer number. I mean, 147 starts for seventh-round pick. Um, Is currently, how old is he? 34. He just turned 34 years old should not he signed like a two-year five million dollar contract that is not the contract you want to start and tackle to be on but he is the guy that they're penciling in as a starting right tackle once again will hernandez right guard three veterans that are fine but they are old humphreys is is 29 turns 30 this year hernandez is 30 something um and most importantly that especially for the tackles perspective they are in the way. Oh man, Hernandez is only twenty-seven. Goodness gracious, Whew, doesn't look like it, buddy. Um, <laughs> most importantly, with Beecham and Humphreys, they are in the way of Paris Johnson starting at tackle because word out of Arizona is they want to start Paris Johnson at left guard. He played guard in college. It would make sense from a let's take it easy on him his rookie year. Let's kick him out to left tackle next season. Let Humphreys kind of take the lumps for a bad team. That's not the way I would do it. I would say if you draft this guy in the first round, he's either he either is better than the guy at his position or he's not. Right? Don't I wouldn't do this slow play thing. So like the Steelers and Project Jones. For me, it's hey man, beat beat the left tackle or beat the right tackle or like you didn't beat them, or, and then maybe you have to be the guard to go in and say, well, we'll play you at guard so it's easier for you. I don't love that. But at the end of the day, Humphreys is a decent player. Beecham is an average player. Hernandez is a decent player. And we like Paris Johnson. We haven't mentioned the center, Joel Froholt, who has, I don't know if he's ever started in an NFL game, but they like love him apparently. Um, it's not good. But three average vets and a rookie that we're excited about. I, I'm ex- I'll put him at 29. I'll flirt with 29. I'm excited for that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm at there. You're being way kinder to them than I am. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just stop there. Can I pick on the Raiders for a while? I of think course. It. There's oh nothing I love more. That's not true, but you know, there's very few things I love more. All right, so listen, I 
I had the Raiders at uh, I think twenty six at the start of the day, until you told me that they were going to try to put Alex Bars back starting again this year. And I'm like, you know what? That might just be worse than the Cardinals if you do. <laughs> Colton Miller I love, okay, left tackle. That's a guy that could be Pro Bowls, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not every year, but he can consistently rack up some Pro Bowls. He, he's that good. Um, he's still, you know, what? He's fifth year, fourth year, I forget exactly. It's fifth year, I think it is. Anyway. Colt Miller's very good. I don't hate that. Greg Van Roten is not great, but he can kind of sort of hold his own over there. After that, it's not great. You've got guys who have played some. Uh, it, it gets really bad really quick. But then to, it's not so bad that Alex Bars needs to be starting at any any spot on this line, and I don't understand it. But, you know, if that's something they do, it indicates that – other guys aren't looking good either, apparently. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'm too high with the Raiders at 26. And maybe I just need to drop them down to 30, 30 or 31 as well. Yep. yep. I've got them at 30. And the reason they beat a team like the Commanders, let's say. We'll get we'll do the Titans last. Um, the reason they barely edge out the Commanders for me Trying to make sure I actually feel good about that. Yeah, I like I, I like Dylan Parham. He wasn't that good last year, but again, a a rookie, a day two rookie on a bad line for a team that just was disorganized. They were one of the teams that was swapping guys series for series between Jermaine Illuminor and Thayer Mumford, like during games, like well into the season. Um, they overhauled the look of their offensive line in week three. To get Alex Bars in there, that's not good. But I, I like Dylan Parham on his own. Andre James is a totally fine yeah. center. Um, and Colton Miller, you said that's like that's a real that's a real player. That's a good player there. Um, but I don't like Bars and I don't like Illuminor at right tackle. I would just rather see Mumford at this point. Um, they also broke Alex Leatherwood, which is just <laughs> he was overdrafted, sure, but they they broke him. That that was the Raiders' fault. Um, yeah, so and yeah, real quick, since, since we're nerding out here, I I think I'd rather see McClendon Curtis from Chattanooga, the undrafted kid, start at guard. I mean, but you mentioned Parham's not bad. Par, mm-hmm. Parham's okay, and maybe could even get better. So mm-hmm. there is hope for this line. It's not as it's not as ridiculously bad as it has been over the past few years. There is hope here. Um, they're not old across the board the way the Cardinals were last year, yep. so that's something. Um, Miller should be sol- should be very good for at least the next four years over at left mm-hmm. tackle. Mm-hmm. There's stuff to work with here, um, yep. man. That just that one thing is is going to drive me nuts, man. Yeah, that's real tough. Um, the Commanders will do their left to right and talk about them. Charles Leno, I have no idea what they're doing at left guard. Chris Paul, not that Chris Paul, and Sadiq Charles are the guys penciled in right now. Nick Gates, the free agent signing from the Giants, is their, I guess, their day one starting center. Sam Cosme at right guard, and Andrew Wiley at right tackle. I, I, I will. So Leno's a fine player. He's on the tier of DJ Humphreys, just below a Colton Miller. Um, I like that they did stuff on the offensive line for Wiley and Gates. I just don't really like those players that much, especially you'll, I know you'll talk about it, but Wiley being out at tackle because you don't want to put Cosme at tackle either. 
So it's just like, okay, you get a point for process of, of trying to do something with the offensive line, which was also bad last year, but I didn't actually like the players you brought in. And then I don't know what's happening at left guard. Now, here's the thing that could swing them if they go to the rookies at some point in the season just to see what Ricky Stromberg can do at center and what Braden Daniels can do at one of the guard spots. I would be happy with that, and that could move them into the should-be-good-but-questions tier for me. That could be a whole tier jump. If it's Charles Leno, let's say Stromberg and Daniels, and then let's say you put – I know you want Wiley at guard. Let's say you put Wiley or Gates at right guard, and then you just take a swing at right tackle. I mean, I don't even know who who we'd be talking about at this point for them. But that would at least be interesting and be like, hey, if Leno's good, if the rookies are good, if Gates or Wiley – can be decent as a as a guard and then you have a wild card at tackle that's at least something i just don't like i don't like what their plan is now and i don't think it's going to work at all yeah so let me take a few shots here at the commanders there are pieces here but i don't like the way they've drafted or not drafted here over the last few seasons they've they've partly ignored it to be honest yep i clearly think they're not very good at developing they've got to be some of the it's got to be some of the worst development of offensive mm-hmm. linemen in the league. We talked about teams that were good at it all night. Commanders just aren't, haven't been for a while now. My my preference, if I was going to see it by midseason, let's say they, you know, takes it half a season, I would have Leno at left. I would have the rookie, Ricky Stromberg at center. Mm-hmm. I You mentioned this. I would have Andrew Riley at right guard. That's mm-hmm. the best he's ever looked. It was a couple of years ago. He played back-to-back seasons at right guard. That was the best he's ever looked. And I would have I would have Braden Daniels. And, and, again, this is where I would rely on the coaching staff to see how he's looking in camp. I would have Braden Daniels either battling Cosme for tackle or battling, battling Gates for left guard. And I don't know which. I'd need to see him. Just which one That's was better. where I would be I like at. that. I like so, that. Um, make make the young guys battle it out. And he played guard and tackle in college, didn't he? I yeah, think he played so. okay. 43, 49 career games played, 43 starts, 18 at left guard, 14 at left tackle, 11 at right tackle. So plenty okay. of experience. So I like that. I like your plan because those are, those are the best six guys. And Wiley's best position by far is right guard. Gates, whatever, just stick at left guard. Stromberg, put him in, and then let yeah. let these young guys. Cosme's, I mean, three years now are going to be in year three. But let him and Daniels battle for right tackle as that wild card length, some athleticism. One of you go win this job because the other guys are best in these positions. I I would like that plan. Yeah, and you know, I think we're both agreeing on this point for sure. Is if you're going to struggle. Why not struggle with some young guys who may help you next year? Yep. Yep. Go for go for the maximum result if it yes. if if you the version of you playing it safe isn't very good anyways. Like right. you're playing it safe and you're the fifteenth best, it's like okay, that you know, that's fine. But then playing yep. it safe if it's Leno, Paul, Gates, Cosme, Wiley is down here, is twenty five to thirty two. Yes. Like it's not not good. Right. All right, the Titans. This is my last place team. Um, this is a whole mess. This is just – which is saying something because we love Peter Skaronsky, who they drafted, and I'm so happy right. that they drafted him. 
great process to do it. Um, don't worry if he's a guard. Don't worry if he's a tackle. Just take him and put him where he's going to be best. But to sign Andre Dillard, to let go of Ben Jones, uh, Ben Jones, I'll, I'll set aside because I, I don't want, I didn't want them to do it, but I also keeping, at least they kept Aaron Brewer. If they are going to let Jones walk and then not re-sign Brewer, then that's a mistake. But if they're deciding we want Brewer to be the center, we're ready to move on from Jones, fine. But then on the right side, Nicholas Petit-Frere was going into year two. He is obviously suspended for the first six, I think six games um, for gambling at the facility. I believe was his suspension. So now they have to figure that out because it wasn't looking good anyways. Daniel Brunskill and Dylan Raddins were essentially going to battle out with the right guard spot. I thought that they'd go to camp and let Dillard and Skronsky battle for the left side, one at tackle, one at guard, and see what happens. Everyone seems to think that Dillard was just getting pinned in at tackle and Skronsky at guard. Now that Petit Frere is out, could we just see Dillard at left tackle, Skronsky at right tackle, and then you let Brewer start at guard or at center, and then Brunskill and Radins are your starting guards. When Petit Frere comes back, what do you do? Do you move Skronsky? Do you move Dillard? Either way, however you shake it with those six guys, it's not good. <laughs> and so the fact that it's not good I think you have at least two liabilities. I think you have, well, three without Frere, you know, between Dillard, Brunskill, and Radins. That's not good. Um, and then when Petit Frere comes back, I don't know how much better it gets because he wasn't that great last year anyways. This is just a mess. I have no idea what to, th- what to say. No, it's a mess. And this, this is where I was given the Titans that franchise um, – mm-hmm that franchise bonus a few months ago. I was like, well, yeah, they're getting rid of these guys, but they'll, they'll be okay. They always are to figure it out. But the closer we get to the season, I'm, I'm seeing exactly what you're seeing. And it's just a mess. <laughs> and, you know, they, part of this is finances. So they were tight mm-hmm. on money. They had to make decisions somewhere. They decided after the power struggle to make the, the savings at offensive line. And I guess, Slowly but surely, they're going to build it back up. Is the idea, but in the in the interim, it's very messy, extremely messy. Even if Petit Ferrer is back in there, it's still messy. Um, let's let's take Dillard, Brewer, Brunskill. Let's assume that even one of those guys surprises us and is actually average or above average. You still have two other holes. You really yeah. do. So um, the Titans are good at figuring this stuff out, but man, you, you know. With Tannehill and even if Levis jumps in, you know, you don't have the – these aren't exactly run around out in the flat playmaker kind of quarterbacks. They are they tend to kind of stay in the pocket, yep. and that's where they tend to make their living. And this offensive line isn't going to let them do that. So you're like, well, I guess they're going to run the football a whole lot <laughs> and play action, you know. Mm-hmm. But then that limits what they can do. I think it's already limited because you don't have wide receivers here. I – this is the beginning of a lot of problems here on offense for, for Tennessee. And this O-line isn't going to help much this year. Some bench guys to shout out. Jalen Duncan is interesting. He's a project. So it might not be a good thing to throw him out there. But I might I might do it anyways and tell him, hey, man, no matter what happens, you're going to be on this team next year. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> just go out there and, and give it the good old college try. So I think he has a higher upside than – anyone they could throw out there right now um 
And then John LeGlue, if he makes this team part of the Pittsburgh, Tennessee uh, exchange student uh, program, I guess, there's a lot of former Steelers on, in Tennessee, a lot of former Titans in Pittsburgh. Um, he, he played some good snaps for the Steelers two years ago. So that's – he's not going to win a starting job, but if he makes the team and Brunskill's bad or Brewer gets hurt and Brunskill has to play center – there's there's some names, it, but no, it's not. It, yeah, it's just not good. It's not it's not good. I don't think they're following a good plan, and I think for the most part, the players are. I think the even the most optimal option they could come up with right now is is in my mind worse than any other team that that we've talked about tonight. Yeah, and this is where you know I didn't criticize. I'm going back three months here on the podcast with with me and you and and, and uh, Ronan. I didn't criticize Tennessee at the time for letting go of two offensive linemen because I just thought, well, they'll figure it out and put it together, but they really haven't. They just haven't. You know, if you, you've got three young guys there, I, I would love for them to put start Skaronsky wherever they feel like is best. Uh, when Ferreira comes back, start him, of course. And then, like you said, start Jalen Duncan from Maryland. If he looks at all possibly ready to, to play at all, throw him in there. But you need at least one above-average veteran Mm-hmm. For them to just kind of huddle around, and they don't yep. have that. Yep. <laughs> it's there's nobody. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. um, it, I, I'm sure there's a plan in place, but they are. It, it's like they're building a house, and they don't even have. They don't even have the. Uh, there's no roof on. Uh, there's no walls built yet. It's just you know they got a foundation, I guess. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all on Peter Skronsky. Ben, I think we spent just as long talking about the worst eight teams as we did talking about the best 16 teams. So that's pretty, that's pretty standard for us. Um, Ben, really appreciate you being on as always. Love talking offensive line with you. We'll do something else before the season starts. Um, But thanks for being on, man. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. If you're still listening, thank y'all so much for listening this long. You must be as, Big of nerds as we are. We love it. Thank you all so much for listening to the Simon Short Podcast. Make sure you listen to Ben on the Stat Sheet Podcast and on Odds on Favorite. We hope you all have a great week. Have fun and be safe out there.